Hi, Amy. Amy's here now, Sue Ann. Hi. Hi, nice to meet you, quote unquote. <laughs> meet your voice. Yeah. Nice to meet your voice. So, uh, yeah, so let's let's get started. Our special guest today is Sue Ann Levy, a two-time investigative reporting award winner and nine-time winner of the Toronto Sun's Reader Choice Award for Newswriter. Sue Ann Levy made her name for advocating the poor, the homeless, the elderly in long-term care and others without a voice and for fighting against the striking rise in anti-Semitism and the BDS movement across Canada. She recently released her biography entitled Underdog, Confessions of a Right-Wing Gay Jewish Muckraker. Welcome, Sue Ann. Thank you very much. Welcome to everybody on this thread. And Yeah, I, I, I just have to say I love the title of your book. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I, I can't then, take credit for that. That was uh, okay. Random House's creation. but uh, It's a good one. Thank but you. Um, and then I also just need to ask a quick little question is what kind of puppies do you have? Well, we have affinity, my wife and I, for long-haired miniature dachshunds. They are okay. cute and sweet. We just lost our female a couple months ago, and uh, the two boys have just taken months to get over it, and I think they're finally getting over it. But, oh, God. Yeah. If, you, if you think dogs don't grieve, think again. Yeah, I've seen that. I, I used to have two Boston Terriers, and I have one now, and it, it took a while for the younger one to get used to being alone. I definitely saw that. I'm sorry yeah. about your pup. It's it's really hard to go through that. It's devastating. Yeah, he aged literally overnight. He's 12, and he aged like his his whole face went went gray, went white. Yeah, yeah. is that the one in your profile picture? Uh, no, that's the one we lost. Okay, that's that's Flora. She oh. was. Uh, she was a nine pounds of bossy hilarity, as we say on her. <laughs> yeah. I love doxies. Yeah. If I had a dog, that's what I'd be getting. I like that breed. Um, yeah. Well, Denise and I are both fairly short. They're short-legged, and but they're tenacious, and they don't take no <laughs> for an answer. So we figure we're just like our dogs, or they're just like us. You I, fit I the, you know, dogs who look like they're people stereotype. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I was I was gonna say well and also the uh, the uh, personality too. I mean you you are you are known for your tenacity, <laughs> Sue Ann. And I yeah. uh, so I'm I'm a Torontonians. Sue Ann is a originally Hamilton, uh, right. then got your start in Gravenhurst writing for a small paper, and then came down and you worked in PR for a while, but yeah. you ended up at. Um, at the Toronto Sun, and of course, that's of course where I know you from because yeah. um, you're famous or infamous, depending on which side of the aisle <laughs> <laughs> you're on. So, yeah, I'm, um, I'm really it, fascinated by the fact that you've been a journalist for 31 years, I think, or was uh, it 31 years at the Toronto Sun? 31 at Toronto Sun, at the Toronto okay. Sun, and I walked out the door last July and promptly walked uh, into a freelance. Uh, gig with True North, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. Um, yeah, it, it's doing uh, a lot of great work. Yeah, they are, and uh, literally during the Freedom Convoy, the number of Twitter followers and uh, subscribers doubled, which I was mm -hmm. really proud to see. So uh, I can see that. Yeah. yeah, 
Um, I, I'm curious because you've been at this for so long. How have you seen journalism kind of change from the inside in the context of this culture war, specifically with identity politics of gender and race? Mm -hmm. um, what kind of things have you witnessed in the industry? Oh, terrible changes. And I, I, you know, I'm very sad for the state of journalism. I actually just spoke at a conservative uh, political conference a couple of weeks ago uh, about journalism, uh, journalism in crisis. And it's funny because it, it was sort of a takeoff on what happened during the Freedom Convoy that all the mainstream media who uh, have been bailed out by the Trudeau, Justin Trudeau government, were all whining pitifully um, that uh, they were treated meanly by the Freedom Convoy. Well, there was a reason that happened. And, and they had conferences after the convoy ended, um, just licking their wounds and feeling very sorry for themselves. Well, none of them actually came out of their glass towers, or very few of them, to go into the crowd and actually talk to these people. And to get an idea of what this was all about, they just followed Justin Trudeau's talking points. It made me very sad. It's you know, the demise of definitely investigative journalism has, um, well, it, it hardly exists anymore. Um, mm -hmm. I use an expression in my book I call uh, journalists repeaters or reporters. And repeaters are the ones we have now who just take a press release, rewrite it, or look to their colleagues in other media to tell them what kind of um, tack they should take. And they're all saying the same talking points. The ma mainstream media should be ashamed of themselves these days. Mm -hmm. And that's why I enjoy doing what I do for True North so much, because um, we're able to tell it, or we do tell it like it is, because um, not getting a bailout from the Trudeau government. Um, yeah. but, but I find that the journalists today are prima donnas, they're lazy, they don't want to look into what you know, uh, what's behind a story. And even at this advanced stage, I still go or endeavor to go to the scene of whatever I'm writing about and get a feel for myself. I don't think I'm doing my journalism right if I don't. And uh, I, I've probably been to more encampments in more tent cities in Toronto than all the journalists and the other mainstream media combined. So, you know, it... <laughs> I don't know how they can pontificate from afar, but they do. And it's a sad state of affairs. And they don't realize that people have lost a lot of trust in them and that people are certainly from this freedom convoy are seeing their true nature. Yeah, that that really, I mean, I was already not pleased with mainstream media because of how they've been talking about gender and race for quite some time. But Seeing their coverage of the Freedom Convoy just really hammered home how absolutely lost journalism in Canada is. It's, yeah. the, you know, that I don't even like to call the people who work at the CBC journalists. There, are, <laughs> I mean, there are a few good people left there, but for the most part, it's just um, rewritten press releases from Justin Trudeau. Yeah, and they don't, they're not, I, I, what bothers me is that when I went to jur journalism school at Carleton, which has become very woke, um, we learn to tell both sides of the story, sometimes three sides of the story. There is yeah. no curiosity, there's no attempt to get the other side of the story, no attempt to go out and like they did, you know, didn't do with the truckers and go out and get their side of the story. They just repeated the political talking points. 
I spent a lot of time at Toronto City Hall, the same thing. Um, yeah. they, the people that I was with in the press gallery, you know, just would, they would check with each other and make sure that they were covering the right story of the day. I write a lot about that in my book. And it's gotten far worse now. People like me, uh, over the last couple of years, I've been stalked, bullied, harassed, shouted at, chased out of parks, screamed at, had to call the police because people were getting very aggressive to the point of physically aggressive. And they, you know, these people who don't like you seem to think they can do whatever they want. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and then when you compare that to the way that mainstream media reacted during the convoy about their so-called persecution <laughs> it was oh that, it was laughable care. it was laughable look i went into a lot of encampments in my last couple of years at the sun um i went to a safe injection sites and stood there and observed where the drug dealers were who who you know who was who and you know i got uh and I never went with any security. I would go to protests with a camera person. Never did we ever have any security. Maybe we should have. I don't know. But these people, they were openly bragging that they couldn't go out in the streets without security. It was incredible. Yeah, it is. Well, And also, uh, I dropped into a space, a Twitter space, where it was all uh, blue check woke uh, Canadian yeah. uh, reporters and they yeah. were all like moaning and complaining about how poorly they'd been treated yeah. in in Ottawa you know and it was entirely tone deaf like you don't understand why you know the people on the ground there uh, don't want to speak to you you honestly don't understand that you know and they really di didn't seem to have a clue they didn't I mean they're they're in their little bubble uh, first of all, Ottawa, I mean, is a bubble in itself, but they were in their little bubbles. And I, I, the, the most laughable thing was my former, my alma mater, uh, Carlton, had this wine fest, as I called it, uh, where all these woke journalists sat and, and compared notes and how badly they were treated. I mean, it, you know, and I read the transcript. I could not believe. I didn't watch it that night, but I could not believe the things they were saying. I mean, they had no uh, insight into how uh, badly they've performed as journalists. Yeah. Um, I, I actually did. I studied journalism before I became a nurse, too. It was kind mm -hmm. of my original passion. And mm. I a couple of years ago now... I had a mentor who was really great to me throughout uh, journalism school, and he actually denounced me on my Facebook wall and called me a hater and deleted mm. me because of my views on on gender. And it really shocked me because this was someone who, in my early 20s, I felt like was a major influence in teaching me to think critically, examine all viewpoints however many sides of the story there are and yeah now he's just another person in the field who's completely captured by identity politics it's sad to see the number of sheep i had a a colleague who shall remain nameless who i went to journalism school with who writes for the competing paper and when i suggested uh, so critical made a sort of an observation about uh, Trump during the fact during the re-election of Trump, uh, or maybe the first election. I can't even remember. It was a couple of years ago uh, that maybe it wasn't so. I got blocked. I got 
you know, um, well, it was actually quite venomous, <laughs> the reply. And I thought, is this the same person that I wow. knew from journalism school? <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable how personal people get over politics these days. Yeah. Oh, God, yes, yes. Well, and speaking about, like, the the threats and everything, um, let's go back to 2019, uh, fall of 2019, when Megan Murphy was mm-hmm. uh, covering, uh, was uh, giving her talk at um, the Palmerston Library in Toronto, and you were there covering it for The Sun, uh, yeah. Stuane. And when we spoke last week, you, were, you, you told me about your experiences, which were very similar to so many of us who who went to that talk and it was appalling. It was, uh, I was saying to you, Lisa, that uh, I uh, stood on the, before the talk began, I stood on the front steps where in front of the protest to get a feel for, I mean, I I guess I have brass balls as my wife says, because I'm standing there (laughs) and I'm standing there and I'm not even sure where the photographer is. He's way out in the crowd. And I'm standing there looking at all these people and not believing how how crazed they were. And my own MPP, Jill Andrews, who's a wingnut, um, starts screaming at me, screaming, absolutely screaming at me. And I go to, to just sort of touch her and say, please calm down. You know, you are my MPP. And she starts yelling, you're touching me. You're touching me. And I, you know, and she goes on Twitter and, and says, I, you know, that I tried to assault her. It was like, oh these my God. people were nuts. Wow. So, okay, then, so you share something with Amy. Okay, go ahead. Continue. Sorry. And, and then I go into the thing and I finally get in. And at first they weren't going to let the journalists in, but they finally did. And I go and I sit at the back and I listen to this talk and I'm thinking, like, this all makes perfect sense what this woman is saying. She's, you know, not saying anything that anybody in that room or you or me or any of us on this, on this, you know, space would think. And outside, so people in the audience were quite polite and respectful. And outside you had a mass of fothing frothing, foaming women who, quite frankly, were embarrassing to my sex. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, and then, of course, when we came out, they were all, they had gotten in. The police could not control the crowd. Uh, I was trying to get some comments. And then my editor just said, leave, because it's getting too dangerous. And I just kind of snuck out. But, you know, it none of the pushback, the... F- frothing of these women they were just like almost like rapid dogs uh yeah you know she didn't say anything controversial she just said she she expressed common sense and the and this was sort of my first insight into this crazy uh feminist are they feminists are they radical feminists is it's a fringe group uh you know jill andrews is gay i'm gay uh and you know i'd i'd experienced it with the pride organization but these were women and they were all like i was the devil Wow. Well, that they're, they're what what we we call the lib femmes, the liberal. The, the, that's the official 
feminism, the state mm -hmm. feminism of Canada yeah. and of the United States. And that's the one that says that trans women are women. And that is that they believe that that's their and they believe that if if uh, you if your if your feminism doesn't include trans women, it's not feminism. And that's like the exact opposite of radical feminists. <laughs> well, and, that yeah. night, Megan Murphy made it very clear that, you know, about competing in sports, that biologically, a man is a man. And competing in sports as a man who's wearing makeup and has taken some hormones and has long hair, it does not equate to a young lady competing in sports. I know from my own experience running, and that's on a very low level, that I certainly can't keep up with the men's times. I have a yeah. hard time keeping up with the women's times, never mind the men. And you know, especially people who, men who've gone through puberty. So she, she expressed that. And that was, you know, before the precursor to what we're seeing now with these people in competitive sports, mm -hmm. um, you know, still with their full equipment competing in sports against young ladies who are half their size. <laughs> yeah. It's all, so it's all deranged. I find it incredible. I've, I've been to a lot of um, the and and helped to organize a lot of events in Canada talking about gender identity. Mm -hmm. I've also gone to some in the United States. And mm -hmm. so these are events where women are talking about women's rights mm -hmm. and they need heavy, heavy police presence to control yeah. the protesters every time. It just blows my mind that in, you know, it's 2022. This is what happens if women want to gather and have a friendly conversation where everyone is welcome and dissenting viewpoints are welcome and we just want to talk about state ideas. facts yeah <laughs> yeah but state simple facts right yeah but but immediately you're transphobic so okay i'm now uh and i'm sure after this you know space I am now a self, did you know that I'm a self-loathing lesbian and I'm certainly, I will be called a turf by the end of this, you know, Yay, conversation. welcome to the club, Sue Ann. Um, happy, happy to be a member, an honorary member, you know, and turf. all they do is they throw out these names. They don't try to, you know, they, it's either our way or the highway. Um, and uh, it's, it's, <laughs> I don't know what's happening to the world. Everything has gone absolutely mad. I mean, um, I think um, Jonathan Kay, uh, uh, he used to be at the National Post, and I sort of tag team on, on different tweets. And he, was, he just posted a tweet. This is how maddening it's gotten of a man who's got makeup on and long hair who impregnated two women in a women's jail. And yeah. this is like the crazy stuff, over-the-top stuff that's going on. It's happening yeah. here as well in Canada, and, and we have Heather Mason in the room too, who is um, part of Canadian women's sex-based rights along with some of us in the room, and um, some of us are founding members, and she's the one who's covering and advocating for the women on the inside, and mm -hmm. so she is constantly um, speaking with them and finding out, and last year, Sue Ann, um, Cosbar, along with um, many other women's groups, uh, uh, came together to organize, I think it was 11 uh, protests throughout the year at various um, women's uh, federal institutions. And mm. um, we're, getting, we're getting some play there, uh, and from especially the Toronto Sun. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, of course, we're not getting any play 
uh, from the um, the left or progressive media, mm-hmm. and so um, that kind of segues into how you and I had this conversation. Um, mm-hmm. uh, had our first conversation, and you being here today because um, uh, we do have a Thursday, a regular Thursday slot on the Richard Sirrett show on Sa- Saga nine sixty AM, and God bless him because um, he's taken a great interest in the subject, and so has offered us a platform there. So um, some of our spokeswomen go uh, on onto that show, and it's been great. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, because I, I, I follow uh, Saga 960, I happened to get a tweet just right at the right time, and it said that you would be on talking about the story that you wrote for mm-hmm. um, True North. Mm-hmm. And so I, was, I managed to get, you know, the last three minutes, and, and, and I thought, oh, I saw the tweet, and I'm like, awesome. Levy has entered the ring, and she's a truth teller, and this is going to be good, right? So I'm yeah. glad that you took you took up the mantle on 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 the on the issue, mm-hmm. and um and then so it was it was a great interview of what I heard, and then at the end, and you said, "Where are the women? Where are the feminists?" And and yeah. so that was that was my siren call, um for you know for me to uh, tweet at you and say, "Hey, I can tell you what we're doing," and then. We had a conversation, and I invited you on, and the rest is history. But yeah. that is the our voices are being suppressed. They're definitely being suppressed, and um, and it's only places like True North, like the Post Millennial, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, like Rebel, um, mm-hmm. and 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 National Post. Barbara Kay is one of the longest running commentators on the gender identity issue in Canada, mm-hmm. and she does amazing work on a regular basis. Um, so yeah, and I'm, I'm so glad that, that we're, you know, we're having this conversation with you today because the more voices and the strong voices and, and you're such a veteran and you're such an excellent investigative reporter. Um, Mm. I just want to ask you about that, the story that you did. I noticed too, in doing a bit of research for today that you've been writing a number of, um, of articles and investigative reports on what's going on in the school system. So let's, let's jump into that. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell us, tell us a little bit about what you're doing there. And, and specifically let's start with the presentation on transphobia that you reported on um, your most recent story about this issue. Yeah. Well, I had gotten some documents from somebody because, you know, in journalism, one thing leads to another. Somebody sees what you do and then they get the courage to send you documents, you know, anonymously uh, or they don't want their name mentioned. But it's always somebody from within the school system, a teacher, usually a teacher or administrator, not necessarily a principal because they seem to have bought the Kool-Aid. but a teacher was very, very troubled by what was going on at a high school in Toronto. And I venture to say it's probably going on at other high schools as well, but this one happened to reach out and it was a uh, 19 students along with, I guess, their mentor and English teacher who um, I would also venture to say was probably gay or woke or all of the above. Um, had put together this presentation for the rest of the school, for teachers in the school. And the it, it was a high school, but lest you think it's only happening at the high school level, uh, the most disturbing thing to me is that it's happening at a very elementary, rudimentary level where kids just really want to play video games and, and buy you know candy at the corner store, uh, not talk about gender identity. So um, what 
they had put together was this presentation. What appalled me as well is that 19 students had worked on it. And I'm thinking, do they not um, have better things? To, like, do they not have classroom work? Do they not have other things to study and spend all this time? And the whole presentation was basically teaching the teachers in that school um, about how to understand gender. And it was, it, like I say in the story, it was surreal. It was absolutely surreal. I watched the uh, presentation, the virtual presentation, and I read the transcript. And they talked about the TDSB guidelines, Toronto District School Board guidelines, which is probably way out there compared to other school boards, but others are catching up. And the thing that was very troubling is that in those guidelines and which were emphasized at the talk was that if a student, say under the age of majority, say 14, 13, I don't know, how old are you when you go to grade nine? You're 14. Um, I skipped a grade, so I was 13 in grade nine, but be that as it may, uh, they're saying that the school should never disclose to a parent a student's gender. So if um, Ronnie comes into school and he says, I want to be called, um, I don't know, uh, what's a female name? Uh, I don't know, Julie. Ricky, Julie. I want to, well, it's usually the same initial. So I'm trying to, Rhonda oh. wants to be called Rhonda yeah. right. or wants to go by the pronouns she, them, or whatever. The parents should not find out. Uh, the, the students prefer gender or preferred pound pronouns without that student's consent. So, I mean, the school is actually taking over, crossing the line, taking over the responsibilities of a parent. And you know what teenagers are like. They're in their little teenager world. Sometimes it's very hard to get anything out of them. If there's a bit of acrimony in the family, if they don't agree. I mean, these Teachers were actually preaching to other teachers and, you know, the students who were on this panel um, to just do whatever the student says and basically enable them to keep secrets from their parents. And, I mean, it went on. I mean, it got worse because uh, they said the policy had to be followed whether the student was 14 or, you know, 18 is the age of majority. And... Then they went on to say that it was really okay for a boy who was transitioning or thought maybe he was a girl to use a girl's washroom if they felt that that corresponded to their gender identity. This school had a gender-neutral washroom already, so I couldn't understand why students would feel uncomfortable using it, but there was no reason given. And everyone on the panel, as I say in the story, uh, spent considerable time introducing themselves and their pronouns. And they were outrageous. Some of them, you know, I, I had never heard of these pronouns. I mean, and whatever happened to learning the basics and actually being ready for the real world? Um, and then two teachers got on and joined the, you know, this giant cult fest and said, they use she, her, they use these special pronouns. And it's, it's not, you know, they were agreeing with the other stu the students that it's not, you know, a big deal to ask these students, you know, to, to understand what pronouns these students should use and to use them correctly 
or to use their preferred names. I didn't put in the, there's another expression, I'm sure you ladies know, dead names. So their dead names are names that they don't want to ever use again. Um, and uh, then the best was that queer is no longer a slur, but uh, it can be used, but you have to know how to use it. And you have to um, basically get um, approval from the person you're using it with to use it. I mean, it was so bizarre. There are so many in the movement, in the gender critical movement, and many uh, gays and lesbians and bi, and they are completely against the use of the word queer because many of them are older and they do remember when it was a hurtful um, name and that they will never accept that as some kind of a, you know, reclaiming of it. It's just, it's just repulsive to them. And I, I find it I find it fascinating that you, you can hear politicians using these words in speeches. Well, we're supporting trans and queer youth and, and all this kind of stuff. And it's just yeah. like they've just adopted it without any sort of critical thinking or or understanding of the history of the word. It's <laughs> it, but they, they, they just adopt it because they're why woke cookies they're getting, you know, it basically seems like that. Well, they- I wanted to just point out something that really stood out to me in, in your article was where the policy was saying if a female high school student was uncomfortable using a space where any male has identified their way into this female space, then the female would have to use a, a separate private space at another time. So females will be excluded because they're uncomfortable with males in their spaces, whereas they're prioritizing the male's feelings because that male wants their identity to be validated by using a female space. It's just, you know, one person's comfort over another's. Well, I mean, this is how far, far our world has gone. But the other thing was that what I didn't say was also in the policy, if, if uh, the female somehow senses that, uh, a male is just using this to, you know, come in and do things that aren't right. Um, the female can make a, a complaint, make a complaint. So they get n- very little protection whatsoever. If they feel uncomfortable, they have to move. If they feel the male is, you know, not truly trans and doing something that's not right, um, they've got to make the complaint and, of course, be embarrassed themselves. Yeah. That would be horrifying and very scary yeah. for a teenage girl yeah. to stand up and say that, knowing that in all likelihood she will just be called a transphobic bigot. Well, that's the thing. And those words are, are you know, are th- unfortunately, those, those words are thrown around like potato chips now. I mean, they, they have no meaning. because yeah, they've been I mean, totally defanged. Yeah. I've been called racist so many times I've lost count. And, you know, and, and their attempts at intimidation don't work anymore, but, un- well, certainly on ladies like you and on me, but unfortunately it does work on somebody who's in a school system, who just, you know, in a high school, who just wants to get along with everybody and be, you know, not an outlier and not an outsider. So, yeah, it's, it's very powerful. And people's um, livelihoods, women specifically, their livelihoods, like Amy, are on the line for speaking up, speaking 
truth, yeah. speaking facts. And yeah. that's a very compelling reason to shut the hell up. Yeah, it is. And I know I can feel for you because my last two years as a mainstream media journalism journalist weren't easy because, you know, the landscape had changed and I was attacked on all sides. The paper started getting nervous about the whole thing and always very worried about legal suits. And some of these people do use lawfare or other means to try and... Um, the National Media Council, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago at this other conference, was used to try to defang me. And, uh, of course, the Twitter mob went crazy when the ruling came out. It was obvious they were going to rule against me. And the ruling came out, and they were all trying to, you know, gang up on me on Twitter. Like, look what happened. They're right. But it, <laughs> it was so obvious. Like, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, that's horrible. And it's, I'm sorry that you go through so much. Obviously, you have very thick skin. Um, yes, yes. Otherwise, you you wouldn't be doing it. Um, yes. I, I also just want, like, going back to your article again, something that I wanted the listeners to hear was that this policy includes overnight trips. And, yes. And I just, like, it blew my mind when I'm reading your quotation of the policy where it said, regarding overnight trips, if said person gets his, her, their, or its own room <laughs> like its yeah. own room like how how is it not apparent that this is a total charade how can grown-ass educators be calling their student it with a straight face and oh, yeah and know. then just letting males teenage boys bunk up with teenage girls you know it, it it's so insane and these teachers well the ones who who don't agree and there are a majority of people don't, but they are out shouted, out, out, you know, unfortunately administrators have signed on to all this woke nonsense and they're outgunned by uh, the very loud but minority voices. And so I guarantee you that probably 75% of the teachers at the Toronto School Board, for example, because I've been covering all of this from the you know anti-Israel sentiment, the anti-Semitism to the critical race theory crap that I think is really dangerous to this. And I would say the large majority of teachers just want to teach, but you've got this fringe minority at the particularly at the Toronto District School Board, but it's spreading. It's spreading around mm -hmm. the province. Yeah. Some of the things that you've mentioned are at the Halton School Board. We know what happened at the Waterloo School Board when that poor teacher tried, and I know uh, that poor teacher tried to, to stand up and talk about books that were in Carolyn Burjowski. Yeah. Very brave Carolyn. Yeah. Yeah. And got shut down by this like Looney Tunes chairman and who promptly, promptly, you know, cut himself off social media or cut off comments from people who were criticizing him. And, and then, of course, they're very good at playing the victim when people, you know, uh, come back, push back. And, and poor Carolyn was just treated abominably. Um, and <laughs> so this is happening everywhere. It's happening around the province. It's horrifying. And uh, the curriculum, in because I'm in BC and I have two kids, one who is in the public school system now, mm -hmm. uh, it, the same stuff starts in kindergarten. 
And I, I've been reading through the curriculum and I'm just, this is a bit of an aside, but you mentioned CRT and I'm just curious because I've seen CRT type stuff in the curriculum in BC. A lot of people will say like, why are you even talking about CRT? This is Canada. It's not up here to like, just, Mm -hmm. you just shut up. There's no, it's not happening. You're being crazy. But I was like, I'm seeing it. Oh my God. Is it ever? Certainly the Toronto school board. I mean, that's already months ago that I wrote about that. And then, um, so I've been in Florida this winter and I, I heard the state of the state speech by the governor, Ron DeSantis, um, who, you know, he had the Twitter mob, the trans Twitter mob after him a couple of weeks ago, the gay and lesbian Twitter mob, uh, because of his, well, affectionately coined, not so affectionately, don't say gay bill, um, which is trying to stop the very thing we're talking about in the early grades in Florida. But he gave the state of the state speech and he mentioned this young woman, Keisha King, who has been fighting the teaching of critical race theory in Florida schools. And she's black. She's a single mom and she's pulled both kids out of school. One is being homeschooled. The other is in a private school. Uh, because she felt so strongly about this, uh, you know, painting blacks as oppressed and the whites as oppressors. And, you know, in Canada, uh, having observed both countries, we're about two years behind. So things that have already, you know, gotten into the school system in the States and have been through a few bumps and, you know, and uh, pushback is now finding its way into the uh, Canadian school system. I think that a lot of this uh, sort of got up and running during COVID uh, when uh, administrators had a lot of time in their hands to rewrite curriculum and put all these crazy things in. And it's up to parents to really be aware of what's going on. We're finding that um, a lot of uh, parents are reporting to us that it can be quite diff- difficult to get their hands on the curriculum sometimes, too. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to be tenacious about that. Um, and, you know, th- there, there are just so many obstacles. But I do think also one of the, the upsides of, of um, the, the online learning uh, during COVID was that all, the parents were then looking over their kids' shoulders and seeing what was going on. And so um, I think it kind of opened up discussion in that way uh, that was kind of unintended for the schools. And I do think, I, I, di- I have heard about some teachers kind of complaining that they didn't want the, the, the parents knowing what's going on. But this speaks to like the larger issue in Canada and the United States of um, the disrespect for parents' rights and, and oh, the God, socialist yeah. view that, you know, the state... Uh, the children belong to the state and not the parents. You know, we've well, seen that in different ways here. Yes, and you're exactly right what you said about COVID. I've heard from a lot of parents who've said that they were not aware until their kids started doing online learning um, during COVID and how poorly they were being taught, what they were being taught, what was in the curriculum. And you're absolutely right about school system trying to keep uh, – important information away from parents. I mean, this discussion is not new. It was going on in the 90s. That's why they formed parent councils in the 90s, because I covered education for the Sun in the 90s. But um, I have to say as well, and I'm not excluding you, all of you, but a lot of parents don't pay enough attention 
So yes, it came to light during COVID, but a lot of parents weren't paying attention and allowed the school board to, you know, get their big paws on the, these kids and start to indoctrinate them. Really started in the universities because I done a lot of writing about universities and some of the ideological crap that kids in universities were being taught and then it's filtered down to the school system and I think they have this theory this Marxist theory that you got to get kids young and indoctrinate them young and that's why we're seeing all these things happening oh god in kindergarten grade one grade two grade three <clears throat> yeah, it's in, um, I've read through the SOGI curriculum, which I know you have in Ontario as well, for BC. And um, in, in kindergarten, they have this lesson plan. I think this, it's kindergarten, grade one, grade two, maybe, but it's mm -hmm. a plan about a boy at school who's identifying as a girl. Yeah. And what the students should do if they find out that the the boy's family at home is not using his preferred pronouns or his change of name. And kind of, you know, the underlying message there is that they're encouraging children to report families to the school system for not affirming children's gender. And it's just beyond creepy. It's very creepy. And you've got to wonder about some of these teachers that they're pushing this down students' throats. Um, there was a school actually very near to my home in Toronto. Um, and I, I know of it because I've often seen the kids when they come on their, you know, lunchtime and they go into the variety store near the school and they're buying, you know, penny candy. Well, I guess it's not penny anymore. $10 candy um, and stuff like that. And they like to play video games and you just hear them yelling, you know, joking with each other. They put up a poster with the help of, um, they, so there's all these activist groups that have cropped up uh, probably in the last couple of years, but certainly during COVID. They put up a poster from a gay and lesbian activist group that shows um, a young woman bonding like putting uh what do you call it around her breasts a young binding binding. binding yeah i was saying yeah. bonding binding yeah binding and people were outraged people in the community were outraged this poster is up in the school and this is a kindergarten to eight grade eight school yeah and it's it's presented as uh, gender affirming care that it's life saving yeah. Yeah. and this whole narrative of of life saving is is a, is a complete fabrication because it was based on one faulty study and then mm -hmm. it was just repeated and repeated and repeated and and we know that this isn't true that you know subsequent studies have come out mm -hmm. um and when and when they're presenting this binding um they're not even giving all of the risk factors Mm -hmm. involved with this like everything from you know uh, problems with your lungs to broken ribs to you know um you know turning your you know flesh necrotic from like being being compressed that badly you know i mean it's it's just a horrible situation well i think that's what carolyn burjowski tried to say that night at the waterloo school board she was talking about you know kids who have regretted doing what they're what they've done and yeah. that's when she was promptly cut off 
Yeah. And there are then, so many detransitioners now, Sue Ann. It's it's mm-hmm. a growing, growing, growing uh, community, and mm-hmm. um, we were aghast. I want to open it up to uh, to questions and comments. Um, we're going. It's now five forty seven Eastern Standard Time, and we have Sue Ann until six. So we do have um, a little bit of time from from the floor to get uh, some comments. So if you'd like to to have a mic, please request, and um, we'll start. And then put your hand up, and we'll run through uh, those. But while we're doing that, I just want to point out about these detransitioners that during um, the uh, public consultation for. Um, bill C4, which was the anti-conversion therapy bill, which was basically a Trojan horse to get gender mm-hmm. identity included in it so that it would make it illegal to try and, get, uh, you know, talk to kids about perhaps becoming, you know, comfortable in their sex bodies instead of immediately affirming them. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the um, One of the sponsors of that bill, Randall Garrison, NDP from the BC, from BC, um, <clears throat> actually said on record that uh, detransition was a false narrative. Okay, he completely disregarded all mm. of these young people who have been harmed by the ideology and are now seeking help and justice, right? And he just mm. outright denied that they even existed. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's funny because there was one story I did where they had changed, you know, this LGP. TQ, uh, I was going to say RST. Uh, oh, is it this one? 2SL, this is, this is your story from March 28th about erotic dance headlining 2SL GBTQIAP plus event. Yeah, and they've added all these initials. So now yeah. there's intersex, asexual, and then uh, pansexual. So somebody who likes yeah. men, women, or boys, girls, sheep, you know, whatever, <laughs> can't decide. And, yeah. and, and, you know, this is going on elementary schools. It's like, oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> I think there's one, atrocious. I don't remember what it's called, but, like, there's a new sexuality where you're only attracted to people sexually if you also have an emotional connection to them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In other yeah. words, normality. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh. like they're they're trying to assert that just a promiscuous sex is the norm. And if you have an emotional connection to someone, well, that's weird. That's a, a unique sexuality. That needs a flag. Yeah. yeah. Its own flag. I know. I know. Yeah. Well, so I see some part- hands. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say it's all part of dismantling the family system. And, you know, we've already gone that step where we don't have grandparents and I mean I don't want to sound like I'm terribly old and old-fashioned but my wife and I are like you know we're very traditional lesbians (laughs) so you know we still believe in you know ethics and morals and things like that (laughs) of course it's not it's not mutually exclusive there like Mm -hmm. there's a growing um uh, community of conservative gays and lesbians, and and I've heard some say that it was easier to come out as as gay than it was to come out as conservative. Oh, I've had that several times. That's why the uh, Pride Toronto said I didn't deserve a seat at the table because I'm not supposed to be gay if I'm conservative. Wow! Right, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. 
Um, so I want to go to some hands. Um, we do have Gabs in, in the room, and um, Gabs is an amazing advocate for children and child safeguarding and going mm -hmm. um, through her own struggles with the school boards down in the United States, in the school board that she's in, with down in the United States as a, as a mother and a mm -hmm. fierce advocate. So Gabs, uh, welcome, um, and uh, go ahead. Thank you so much for having me. Um, uh, I, um, uh, it, I, my name is Gabrielle Clark, and I filed the first federal lawsuit in America against indoctrination um, because what was happening to my because of what was happening to my son. One of the one of the things that I've come to realize is that you know. The pandemic was probably the absolute best thing that could have happened to us all. Uh, and I understand mm -hmm. that some people think differently about that and feel differently about that because, it, I mean, it shouldn't have happened. But quite honestly, had we not um, had the pandemic, um, I would not have I would not have seen all of the all of the things that I saw um, that made me that made it possible for us to sue because a lot of this stuff that I saw on my, on my son's screens, the, the slides and all of that stuff, we can't even get a lot of that stuff with FOIA requests now, mm -hmm. even though we, even though our children are being shown it every day. So the fact that we, that we were in the, the pandemic and I was able, and I was able to, um, capture those things and show them um, to the public and and show everybody what's being taught and have because all of these people with that nonsense about it's not happening it's not happening or more often what I'm hearing now is that's not critical race theory yeah it is I mean you know there's a picture there's a slide of of Kimberly Crenshaw with intersectionality over the top of it of it and the caption reads the foremost authority on critical race theory. I, yeah. that, I mean, that's it's yeah. literally word for word in the curriculum. So, you know, <clears throat> this whole this whole thing um, that, you know, and I do agree that parents had not been um, had we had fallen asleep at the wheel. But, mm -hmm. you know, the whole and, and finding out about my son and, and fighting for my son over the past year, like I've been doing public appearances, private conversation, all of that stuff. I mean, I probably talk probably 10 hours a day just talking to people. And and in that time. I did not know that my daughter was being socially transitioned at school. So throughout the entire time, I'm fighting indoctrination with my son. My daughter was being socially transitioned at school. And then when I found that out, we moved and we had to get back into, um, we had to come back to Texas. And that was in Las Vegas. And just over in California, not that long before all of this was going on with my daughter, there was a young woman who uh, killed herself by stepping in front of a train. And her mother, Angela Martinez, I mean, uh, Abigail Martinez, has been speaking publicly about what happened to her daughter after they took her daughter away from her because she refused 
to let her take testosterone. The state took her, they gave her testosterone and she and didn't didn't do anything about her depression, which is what she was what she, you know, really needed not to be transitioned. She needed help for her depression. And because of that, she stepped in front of a train. Now, <clears throat> and I, and I understand about pe- people wanting to leave the school system. But if you leave the school system, you can guarantee that it's going to follow you wherever you go. I mean, and, and, and there are people in this, in this space who, who homeschool, but they're still fighting because they realize that, you know, that you do have to put, like, like I say, it's a fire. The fire is happening. You pull your kids out of the fire to save them. And I agree with that. But, but, you know, but all the institutions are captured, Gabs, you're right. You're absolutely correct. That's right. You know, the the judiciary is captured, you know, the, the, um, the uh, licensing bodies like Amy and her nursing college, they're all, it does. We all have to fight it. Even if you're right, we pull our kids out. We all have to speak up. We all have to normalize these conversations to to say, Mm -hmm. we're not going to stand for this. This is not good for children. It's not good for families. And it's, it's, there's a medical scandal uh, in the making here, you know, with so many kids already uh, damaged by it. Absolutely. <laughs> and I just feel like, you know, I feel like at this point, at this point, um, you know, we're, we're at, we're at a, a real, a real uh, crossroads because we're, I mean, as you can see, lives the TikTok is, is getting docs. I mean, we got all of these things going on. She's been one of the major reasons why we know some of the things that we know. You know what I mean? Uh, especially mm-hmm. about gender theory. I mean, and, yeah. and how these teachers, how these teachers view our children and what they think about us. So, um, you know, anybody who, anybody who says, I mean, and I hear, I talk to people in Canada all the time. I love the way y'all say about a boo. It's cute. A boo. Um, Right. But um, I, I don't I, I tell people all the time, you don't have to look far. You go into you go into their website and you look at their webinars and it is right yes. there. You don't have to look that far because they're not exactly hiding. Uh, until they get wind, how, until they catch wind that you're on to them, because I tried to get on to um, I guess it was a talk last week with parents about trans theory and it was from an elementary school and they had advertised it in their newsletter and it had been passed on to me and uh, I got blocked. I couldn't get on. So if they find out, boy, they put the curtain down very quickly. But you're right. The curriculum is all online. You just have to know how to search for it. Uh, certainly in Ontario, it's it's all there. You just, you know, there are a lot of, uh, you've got to be able to access it um, and work your way through. Luckily, I've been doing this for a long time, so I know how to find these things, but it is uh, overwhelming sometimes. Yeah, daunting for parents who have other things on their mind, like um, yeah. actually parenting and making a living and, you know, yeah. trying to have a work-life balance. 
Um, yeah, and it takes yeah. somebody like you, who is an investigative journalist, to be able to dig mm. through through this and know how to do a FOIA, or in Canada we call them ATIPS, Access to Information yeah. uh, Program, and um, doing all that. So we're coming up on six, but I also wanted to get Theo into the conversation here. Um, Theo, how are you doing? Well, I'm really, doing really well. Thank you so much for, um, for having me and for this space. Um, Sue Ann, I'm, I'm a huge fan. Um, Thank you. Uh, very, very uh, quaint of you to be a biological female lesbian. You're, you're, out, you're <laughs> I, out of fashion these days. I um, am a he, she. I mean, I'm a she. Oh, <laughs> bite my tongue. I'm a she, her. Blasphemy. Yes, 100% she, her. <laughs> Uh, uh, amazing, <laughs> a dying breed. Um, mm. But but uh, yeah, sorry. I, I'm sorry. You can use that crude joke as as, as kind of a segue, uh, just to comment on uh, the a few things. But but first, the uh, like the attack on on libs of TikTok. Uh, mm. I never actually noticed any LGB uh, negative content on libs of TikTok, and I think it's a huge shame that uh, the first three letters. Um, of the alphabet soup keep getting bundled in um, mm -hmm. anytime that any kind of, uh, you know, um, hateful content or, you know, yeah. uh, disturbing rhetoric is being referenced. It's always, you know, LGBTQ, blah, 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 blah. Um, and really all they're talking about uh, is, is the T going forward. Um, but uh, about the TDSB, um, you, you, you've made some comments um, saying that, uh, you know, it's it, it's sort of slowly making its way in and this and that. But um, I, I uh, took a, a bit of a deep dive uh, into, uh, well, first of all, uh, uh, Colleen, um, sorry, what's, what's her name? Colleen Russell Rollins, who is the new yeah. Yeah. Uh, director of education. So uh, are you familiar with her work? Uh, yes. The Peel District School Board? Yes, very much. Okay. Okay. So you, okay. So you, so you might, you know, you might want to sort of fill people in. Um, on on that stuff, um, mm. but uh, as well uh, as recently as um, a few months ago, uh, at Forest Hill uh, Public School, they had posters uh, from yes. an organization called Eagle Canada. Okay, so you're where I'm yeah. going to. All right, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, that's the one I was um, talking about with the binding. Oh, Forest okay, Hill yeah, Public exactly. School is yeah. actually you know five, five minutes by bike from my house, and I was really disturbed to see that. Yes, yeah. so. Um, so again, like just because I, I nerd out on this stuff, so I, I took a look at at uh, who donates to Eagle Canada, and one of the top corporate donors to this organization that promotes this stuff is TikTok. Hmm. It, it, oh, it good find. Right? Yeah. So they they're actually like listed. They're like the gold donor, which means they uh, wow. I believe it's two hundred fifty thousand dollars and up. Uh, right. So mm -hmm. it, it, isn't it isn't it interesting how um, a That's business whose whose entire well not entire but like let's say a, a big portion of their business model um, is is derived from um, these people getting indoctrinated and posting their content on their platform mm -hmm. is now donating to a um, a, a self purported charity uh, that, that seeks to you know further the indoctrination including by being um, uh, you know, displayed in uh, uh, TDSB. And mind you, that Forest Hill school is an elementary school, right? So yes, K-8. Right? Yeah. So grade, sorry, yeah, I, I could go on forever, but yes, thank you. Um, I was just going to say that um, I, 
you know, I, I married my wife in 2009, and I wrote a story about how really the left, the NDPers, had done a tremendous job advocating for same-sex marriage in Canada, and I gave them full credit. I think what's happened in recent years is, as I, because I've been watching the scene, and you know, I think that gay and lesbians have all the freedoms. We can be as unhappily and miserably married as uh, heterosexual couples, and I don't mean I have a lovely marriage, <laughs> but I, I'm I'm just joking. But um, I think we've gotten all the freedoms. I mean, I I don't identify as a gay person. I only mentioned it because I'm here on this thing. Um, but I think now this fringe minority, um, they've got to have something to protest. So trans rights have become their new, you know, raison d'etre. Uh, and I'm a firm believer, having watched all these organizations over the years, is that if you, because Egal used to be pretty mainstream. I know the people on Egal. They used to be fighting for gay and lesbian rights. But you, you realize that if, you know, all our problems are solved and there's no more problems to solve, they might not have work. The organization may not exist. So I'm cynical enough and I've been around enough to say that this is also to do with keeping jobs, keeping their profile, keeping... So now they've jumped Absolutely. on the trans bandwagon. And yeah. it sickens me to think what they're doing to little kids because of it. <clears throat> well, the trans actually seized on um, the great work that was done by the LGB community to yeah. advocate for the rights and right. to get and to get the rights and to actually um, actually um, reverse all of the negative stereotypes about you know homosexual people mm -hmm. and um, and to create dignity. Um, mm -hmm. for homosexuals right and yeah um, so they they they're riding on the coattails and there are I'm not sure whether you know about the LGB alliance Sue Ann uh no no okay so that was founded by um uh, two, two lesbians along with um a bunch of other um mm -hmm. gays and lesbians on their founding committee mm -hmm. but um one of whom Bev Jackson was um the uh one of the founding members of the gay liberation movement in um i forget which university in london in in the 70s right like it was the mm -hmm. original one and she's been fighting for lesbians all this time and they just wanted to have conversations with stonewall yeah. um, about what was going on and how that their movement was being co-opted and that how mm -hmm. sex sex is 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 paramount in talking about same-sex attraction and that you know people are not attracted to genders and and you know because of all this trans lesbian and and garbage like you know lesbians mm -hmm. are being hit very very hard with this yeah. by having yeah. male incursion into their culture their spaces and mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. know and all that kind of stuff they just wanted to have the conversation and they were shut down yeah. and by stonewall and so they started um lgb alliance and they're mm -hmm. doing excellent work but they have been really slammed and they've been attacked and just for stating that sex is real and same-sex attraction is just that it's to do with the sex and not the gender yeah. so um so yeah this it was amazing and incredible and sad that they've had to do this work like you know after mm. so many wins and so many you know yeah. things that have been gained that um now we're, we're back we're back to this and so yeah. 
it's, yeah. it's just not, it's just, it's just not a good situation, but thankfully the pushback is happening and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I'm so glad that you have, uh, you have entered the fray here with us. <laughs> uh, yeah. Welcome to Team Turf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also just wanted to add as a little as a small um, point is that y- yes, the trans activism has kind of hijacked uh, or they're riding on the coattails of the um, gay liberation movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like Helen Joyce has talked about this is that there are different um, very wealthy sponsors who yeah. are funding this and it's not a grassroots movement like the gay rights movement was. Yeah. And it's very more- astroturf. For yeah, sure. and and they're doing a yeah. lot of things. Be, they don't actually want to gain attention or support from the public. They're trying to pass these bills under the radar. They don't want us to know about it until it's too late, like it happened in Canada. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, they're at, you know it's perfect for them. It's pretty brilliant. They've at once convinced everyone that they are grassroots, like the gay liberation movement. Meanwhile, yeah. they're billionaire funded, doing things behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, by billionaire autogonophiles, basically. That's who seeded the movement. Um, yeah. I do, I do want to point out that Colin Wright ha- um, yeah. has a mic here, and 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 nice. welcome, welcome, Colin. I don't know Sue Ann whether you know about Colin's work, but he's been mm. very vocal and very doing lots of great work in the area of sex and gender, evolutionary mm-hmm. biologist, contributing editor to Quillette. So welcome, Colin. Hey, thank you for bringing me up. Um, I heard you all mention EGale, that that organization yeah. that is sort of responsible for a lot of the curriculum and education for a lot of Canada public schools. Um, I've actually been looking into a lot of their content recently. And if you haven't seen it, if you go on their, I think it's on their YouTube site, they have a video called uh, Trans 101, The Basics. And it's actually oh been God. around for... It's, it's been around for about four years, and I, I was actually shocked because I, I watched it recently, and I think it really speaks to the, how the definition of what it means to be trans has completely morphed, because they literally say, I mean, I'm, I'm not even paraphrasing, they say, to be trans means um, if you don't act the way society expects you to behave based on what's between your legs, so based on your genitalia, that means you're transgender. And then later in that same video, they also say, you don't even need dysphoria to be considered trans. And so all that's left here is simple gender nonconformity. And this is what is meant by being trans is just mm-hmm. not, you know, identifying with these, uh, you know, these societal expectations of masculinity and femininity. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just a, a complete departure from everything we've known about of what it means to be trans before, you know, what, what gender dysphoria used to be requiring, you know, actual, uh, how being trans used to require gender dysphoria and actual discomfort, but now it's just not agreeing with, you know, a sexist portrayal of what males and females uh, should be behaving like. So this is uh, probably responsible for a lot of the, the huge spike we see in younger kids identifying as trans because, you know, almost no one is a perfect stereotype of masculinity or femininity. And right. unfortunately, the the medical establishment hasn't caught up to this definitional change and now we're medicalizing just gender non-conforming kids it's it was a shocking video when i saw it i had to take a long walk <laughs> and just, <laughs> to, just to just to recalibrate what what has uh, essentially become normalized recently so thanks for bringing up egale i'm i'm writing something about them right now because 
it is it was a shocking revelation to me to see what they're saying i'm really happy that you're doing that colin because yeah they have been a force in canada and these organizations do need to be exposed for what they're doing because of the damage that they're causing um whether or not they are doing it under um, because they think that this is uh, the kind and the right thing to do. Um, it's entirely, you know, misguided, as as so many of us can recognize. <laughs> and again, and again, they're jumping on the uh, the LGBT bandwagon. They've established their credentials uh, with uh, with respect to gay and lesbian rights, and now they've jumped on to this again to keep their, you know, their funding going. It definitely is a huge machine. And we've seen that all of the parties right across the political spectrum have been uh, captured by this. Mm -hmm. And I think I think Sue Ann is partially because like even on the right, you know, the conserv especially the con social conservatives um, mm -hmm. who were, uh, you know, vocal against um, marriage equality. Uh, mm. And now have egg on their face. They, they mm -hmm. now that now the trans come to them and they say this is the way it is, and they think, mm -hmm. oh well, we better we better defer to them because we don't want to be caught with our pants down again. And yeah. so we've seen things like Michelle Rempel Garner, you know, showing up at Morgan Auger's cocktail parties and for the photo ops and, and things like that. And then in this Bill C four, the the conversion therapy ban bill, they actually have you ever seen this before, Sue Ann? They both sides of the aisle rose up and went across and embraced each other after they unanimously passed this bill. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, the conservatives have one job to be mm -hmm. conservative. And they're yeah. not even doing that, right? They're not providing the pushback. Mm -hmm. Well, B Bill six, uh, 67 in Ontario is exactly that, talking about all these things that conservatives should not be. I mean, we're appalled that they even, it's, it's in third reading. Now, they, there is some talk that it'll die in committee, but this was led by a, an NDPer. And then suddenly it found it on, on its way onto the conservative agenda. Yeah. My hope when I hear the this video that Colin described, which I haven't watched myself, but I've seen mm -hmm. the same narrative in other places, mm -hmm. is I just hope if it if more people see it, it's mm -hmm. I think the classic example of oops, they said the quiet part out loud. And yeah. I think most reasonable people might start to question things if you really put it in their face that this is what's going on. And mm -hmm. I, I think it's the same reason that the um, the libs of TikTok woman has been doxxed and is being attacked is because they, <laughs> when you start sharing what they're saying outside of their own echo chamber, people will go, hang on a minute, this is insane. Yeah, and that's what's happened at some of these schools. I mean, uh, they're still afraid to, to, parents and teachers are afraid to be, you know, more than anonymous, afraid to name themselves, but they are starting to feed this stuff into the ionosphere, into, you know, to people who pay attention. Yeah, and more and more people are, so, and that's, um, that's a, why these conversations are so important, is that mm. we're normalizing it, and it's really important to get outside of the echo chamber as well. Mm. Mm -hmm. And um, Spaces is doing that, you know. I mean, anybody can drop in and listen and, and be immersed in um, what so many of us have been working on. 
And mm-hmm. so I think that's really important. But now we've gone way over. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so once again, I would love to thank you, Sue Ann, You're uh, welcome. For, for joining us today. It's been really great. And I'm, I'm really uh, happy and excited that you've turned your attention um, mm-hmm. to this issue because I know that when you – uh, when you get a hold of an issue that you don't let go, you're tenacious <laughs> and uh, you'll get to the bottom of things. And yeah. you are the self-described shit disturber, <laughs> which, which I love. Yeah, my I wife said I'm not to use that. She said, use muckraker, but it, whatever works, uh, you know, and uh, you're right. Uh, just like uh, just like my doxies, my little doxies, we started the conversation. I am tenacious. The little girl we lost <laughs> She used to stick her nose under the uh, the metal oven in the, the kitchen to find some cookie that had gone under there. And she would not stop till she got it. So I'm just <laughs> yeah. like that little doggy that we just lost. Oh, we need right more people like you in this world. So yeah. thank you so much for chatting with us. It was great. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Okay, have a good day. And Best you too. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I'd also like to say thank you to our co-host, Senna, for running the room and making sure we didn't have any trolls coming in, causing trouble. (laughs) And as always, my partner in crime, Amy, thanks so much. Can I say hi and thank you to Colin? Oh, absolutely. Because Colin Colin broke out, well, he broke our story after we filed our lawsuit. So I haven't talked to him in like a year. (laughs) But but hey, Colin. (laughs) Hey, Gabs. Thank you. Love you. I'm glad you got to connect here. So for this episode of Gender Critical Story Hour, it's time to say goodbye and uh, keep talking. Thanks for listening. Gender Critical Story Hour is written and produced by Amy Hamm and Esme V. Intro music by Nahanda. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us your peak trans stories, how gender identity ideology has impacted your life, or just say hi and let us know your thoughts about the podcast. Write to us at gendercriticalstoryhour at gmail.com. Tweet to us at gcstoryhour. Take care, keep strong, and keep talking. Bye for now. Gender Critical Story Hour is sponsored by the mythical biological female. I'm your mother.